1: Two a swing a Deep left. Way back.
0: Hey everyone, Baseball America podcast here. JJ Cooper and Kyle Glazer here to talk about our 2019 minor league player of the year, which is, as you probably know if you've gone to baseballamerica.com already, Dodgers shortstop slash second baseman Gavin Lux. So Kyle, we're going to dive into how we get to this point. But before we do that, I, I did want to kind of just welcome you to the podcast, uh, you know, and, and just say, like, you, you spent some, you know, you spent some time talking to Gavin in the, in the last week. We're going to get into how we got to this decision. But just overall, like, your overarching thoughts, you know, about Gavin Lux being our minor league player of the year.
1: Yeah, I think what really stands out is just where he came from in all this. Uh, Two years ago, you know, I was doing the Dodgers system for us for the Baseball America Prospect Handbook, and I called people inside the Dodgers organization, outside the Dodgers organization, and it was very lukewarm. Just the reviews on Gavin, they thought, no one thought he was terrible, but no one thought he was great either. There was a lot of, you know, he's okay, he's got some instincts, um, but there were a lot of throwing errors and it wasn't necessarily even they thought, Oh, it's his young mistakes. People actually thought there were some issues with the body and how it worked and thought that it'd only get worse as he got older. Um, and by the same token, the bat, there was not a lot of impact. He was on time a lot, but he was, you know, making bad contact a lot. So I think just kind of knowing where he came from in that regard, you know, people talk about the underdog story, if you will. And he was a first round pick. He was highly touted. It's not like he came out of nowhere, but yeah. Um I it, it was just interesting to me hearing everything I heard about him two years ago, and then I went out to Ranch Cucamonga last year, and I even said this last year on our podcast and I wrote about it. It's like Gavin Lux was the guy who what I thought he would look like in my head versus what he actually looked like, it was the biggest spread. He was just so much bigger, so much stronger, so much faster, so much more impactful. How he continues to take leaps. Massive leaps year over year. That's what stands out to me. A lot of people and players talk about doing that. Very few actually do it. And he, and Andrew Friedman had a great quote I thought in the story where he talked about, you know, every year in spring training we lay out goals for players. And in a perfect world, they achieve those goals at the end of the year, and then we give them whole new goals the next year. Very rarely does that actually play out in practice. That everyone conquers everything they set out to do in a year. Well, Lux does it. He's done it two years in a row now, and. As a result, he's in the majors. I mean, he's completely transformed from what he was. And just that transformation, I thought, was the most impressive aspect of all of this.
0: Okay. So I'm going to dive in before we kind of get into further into Lux I'm, and some of the other uh, finalists for the, for the award. I'm going to dive in, explain a little bit to everyone how we, we pick our minor league player of the year. And Baseball America has been doing this for uh, – 38 years now Uh, Mike Marshall uh, the first uh, if I remember correctly I got to look that up I'm pretty confident that's Mike Marshall our first minor league player of the year there's been a whole lot of uh, of big names uh, after that that's the that's when I I can't even say the Dodgers Mike Marshall because the Dodgers had two Mike Marshalls that's the Dodgers hitter Mike Marshall who was our uh, our minor league player of the year back in 1981 but um but how we do it is, we are looking to name the best season in the minors by a prospect. What I mean by that is, is that we are not looking to award simply the best season in the minors. If we did that this year, I you know he didn't qualify, so but you could have made the argument for Ty France. Um, you know, there's been years where you could make the argument there was a year where you could have made the argument for John Lindsay because he may have had the best year in the minors. Now, again, that's not what we're talking about here. We are talking about, we, we want the minor league player of the year to be, award that, uh, be an award that has staying power. And um, we want, when you look back on it uh, 20 years later, that you're going to go, okay, yeah, Manny Ramirez was the minor league player of the year in 1993. Cool. That holds up. Derek Jeter was the minor league player of the year, 1994. Cool. That holds up. Andrew Jones, Paul Konerko, Eric Chavez. We want it to be guys where you're like, yeah, that, that holds up. Now at the same time, it is an award for what you do this season. This is not in any way. Here's who our number one prospect is. If that was the case, it would not be necessarily be Gavin Lux. But what this is, you know, Wander Franco just wins the award till he graduates, potentially. But he had a great season, by the way. But um, but this is an award to honor player who had an you know, who had a great, if not the best season in the minors, but is also a prospect that we feel very good about their long-term big league potential as well. And Gavin Lux obviously checks off both of those boxes. It was a remarkable year. And he also is going to, we believe, be a very successful big leaguer for a very long time. But Kyle, I'm going to kind of kick it back to you. So who were some of the other candidates that we considered who also fit those criteria?
1: Yeah, so really, it came down to a kind of a two-horse race. Um, you know, you have to give credit to Mackenzie Gore having a great year, Wander Franco having a great year. Um, but it really came down to Gavin Lux versus Luis Robert. And uh, just to peel back the curtain here for our listeners, there was... A lot of talks in the office throughout the year, there was a long conference call as we were kind of making our pick. And I think for a lot of the year, it seemed like Robert was going to be the pick. But Lux, was kind of the way he finished, what he did, what he went up to AAA, it became a conversation. And I know for a lot of us in the office, when we came to kind of put pen to paper, what separated it is Gavin Lux did all of his damage in A AA and AAA this year a significant chunk, even though it was only 19 games, a lot of Lewis Roberts' home runs, his biggest influence, in his average, his on-base percentage, his slugging percentage, took place down at high A. So if you just kind of apples to apples it, the Double A to Triple double A and triple A performance between the two, Lux gets the edge. And that was, I think, the biggest thing for us as we really kind of went down and talked about it. Two fantastic players. I think that you could make an argument both ways. Um, But I know as we just kind of talked it through and really dug into it, that was a separating factor. Um, There's obviously ballpark considerations there. Lux playing in the PCL, Robert playing in the aisle. But the fact that Luis Robert plays in Charlotte, which might as well be a PCL park, nullifies that a little bit. Um, I I know for me that was the biggest consideration. And I might have been the guy on the call who was maybe most inclined to go Robert, it it seemed like. But um, in the end, uh, I think we as a staff – Felt pretty good about Gavin Lux, and and the final voting um, was was fairly straightforward. That yeah, Lux was our guy. It wasn't like a, a one vote decider type of deal.
0: Yeah, I, I, the way I would put it, either of them would be excellent choices. If if you if you want to argue with us, if you want to yell at us on Twitter. I'm uh, JJ Coop thirty uh, six. He's Kyle Glazer BA. If, no, if you want to argue Kyle with us, Kyle a. Glazer. I screw that up. Yes, sorry, at Kyle a. Glazer. Um, if you want to argue with us that hey, you think Robert should be the uh, the winner? I mean, he it's very close, but uh, to me, there were a couple of uh, attributes that, for me, led, led to me to vote for Lux. Um, as you you noted, many of them. Uh, another, I would say, there's two other things I would say. One is is now Luis Robert is a valuable defender as well, but I'll, I'll take the edge to the the shortstop over the center fielder. Um, you know, and again, we've heard good reports on Lux's defense, throwing accuracy being, I guess, really the the one thing that at times has been a little bit of an issue for him. Um, the other one I would say is I do believe that, that the way that Lux did it, I'm a little more comfortable with the sustainability of it. Um, you know, better bat-to-ball skills. Both of them showed excellent power. Robert did out-homer uh, Lux at the same time. 26 homers for a shortstop in 113 games is something that I will never, uh, you know, look down my nose at, you know, obviously Robert did have the the power speed combo of, you know, he had more steals than Lux. But when you look at the batting average, you know, overall, I, I did think that Lux, I, I felt like that the years were really basically or a, a razor thin difference between the two. And as you noted, Lux did it all in double A, triple A, now in the majors, and that's nothing against Robert. That has no bearing on this decision. Robert, Robert not being up is not a factor of him being less ready as much as it is that one team is in the uh, is in the in the race and one team is not. Well, that Max Muncy
1: had his wrist broken. I mean, that was really what it was. And and talking to the Dodgers throughout this process. I mean, that really was going to be the situation with the Gavin Lux call-up. It was going to have to be a situation where they had acknowledged, and I talked to Andrew Friedman a couple of weeks before the call-up, and he had acknowledged Gavin Lux has done everything in his power to firm this call-up. He is He has shown us he is ready, but we don't have a spot for him right now. They were not going to bring him up just to sit him on the bench for a month. Once Max Muncy's wrist was broken, that changes the calculation. And as a result, you're right. I mean, that is the fact that Gavin Lux got the called up call up because Max Muncy broke his wrist. is not a fact of this decision was made before Gavin Lux was called up. But as you mentioned, uh, Lux won the batting average race. He won the OPS race between the two of them. He did it all at double A, triple A. That was where, you know, I think a lot of it just kind of came to be, you know, hey, this is the pick. And and you're right, the defense at shortstop got a lot better. He cut his errors by more than half. Uh, the yips came back in spring training. But, again, that's the story of this guy. He always finds a way to get better. And whatever the flaw is, he eradicates it. Again, we talk about that a lot. Um, it's put into practice a lot less than I think everyone would necessarily like. And uh, this is another example of it, you know, in spring training, his throwing was a huge, huge issue. He found a way to fix it. And, you know, by mid summer, it wasn't an issue anymore. Uh, the Dodgers are confident he could play shortstop if he needed to. Also they have Corey Seeger there, so he won't. And that's fine. He can go be an everyday second baseman and, and something potentially an all-star caliber second baseman.
0: And, and again i don 't disagree with you. I will note I have talked to scouts who have said they believe that Lux may end up being if they if it was, if everything was even, he might end up being a better defender at shortstop than uh than Seeger. Now again, we know how the world works Seeger's already there. You do not move your established veteran shortstop off the position because you have a, uh, a rookie who may be a little bit better. That's generally not how that works. It has to be uh, of a different magnitude better to move a, uh, a veteran off the spot. But, I mean, I have at least gotten that from guys. Now, again, they do it a little differently. Obviously, seeger has got the, the massive arm plays A little deeper. Lux is kind of your. I would say I would describe him as a little, a little rangier, a little more your traditional. He's shortstop, twitchier. Your old school, yeah, twitchier shortstop. Yeah, he's twitchier.
1: Um, kind of that more like pure athleticism. He's a little, he's a little smaller, but again, Seager's the guy there, and as long as he stays healthy, shortstop is his. And either way, though, there's a there's a confidence Gavin Lux will be uh, an excellent big leaguer. Um, you know, again, whether that's is he, you know, an all star versus a perennial all star. Um, you know, the general sense is. Plus, hitter. He's really shown now that a lot of scouts and evaluators are comfortable putting 280 to 300 on him. Um, the power surge at, at AAA this year, there was a sense he won't hit 26 home runs in the majors. It might be closer to 20, but he keeps getting stronger every year. And that's the thing with him. I mean, the 25 pounds of muscle he's put on. He's impacting the ball more than he ever has. He's hitting home runs opposite field. This is not a, a pull-only type of hitter. You know, he used to be pull power, singles to the left side. Now he's driving the ball out to the left side. So, um, again, the completeness of his game as well, uh, the approach, the power. He has speed, even though he didn't use it to steal a ton of bases this year. He still got to double digits. Um, in the end, There's a, there's a high degree of confidence that Top to bottom, this guy had the best year in the minors, and, and this there's a bright major league future ahead.
0: The other thing that stands out, and you, you talked to him, you talked to uh, Dodgers officials about this. You brought it up already. 2017, first full season in the minors. Gavin Lux goes to the Midwest League. A tough assignment for for a, a young uh, hitter coming out of high school. But he goes out, he hits two forty-four, three thirty-one, three sixty-two does steal 27 bags, does walk a good bit, doesn't strike out all that much. There are plenty of things in that stat line that year to be encouraged by. That said, it's, it's, a, it's a fine, mediocre year. It's not a year that, again, he was uh, already on the radar, was the first round pick, all that. But that was not the year. And when you talk to people after that year, as you said, there was a lot of concern and skepticism. Since then, he has hit. He hit 324 last year. He did that at two stops. He hit 324 in High A. He hit 324 in Double A. This year, he hit basically 350 between two stops, Double A AA and Triple A. He hit seven homers in his first Little Pro season. He hit 15 last year. He hit 26 this year. He's continued to put bat on ball. He's continued to draw walks, not strike out an excessive amount. He's done all those things. As you noted, he also has gotten better defensively. I, I want to give a ton of credit to Gavin Lux on this. I also think it's worth noting, I also want to give credit to the Dodgers on this, because this is something that seems like that the Dodgers do over and over uh, with these guys, which is players get better. In the uh, in the Dodgers system, and Gavin Lux, he's not the only one. Uh, Will Smith is a lot better player now than the player Will Smith dra- was when he was drafted. We could go, you know, uh, again. We could go to the Kyle Garlicks, and you know, the seems like the Dodgers find, you know, again. you mentioned that Max 80s. Muncy, Max Muncie, you know, yeah. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Tony Gonsolin, when the pitching, it there's a lot of these, but but Kyle, you did the reporting on this. What stands out for you about how Gavin Lux has gotten to this place where he's basically able to be brought up to help a big league team, not even an a pennant race, a big league team that is getting ready for the playoffs.
1: Yeah. You know, you mentioned the Dodgers player development, uh, playing a big role in this and Billy Gasparino uh, mentioned this. We have a Q and a with Billy on baseballamerica.com right now. I highly encourage everyone to read It goes into the process, but I thought Billy at the end kind of made the point that this is Gavin Lux in some ways is example number one of amateur scouting and player development, working together, communicating together, getting in sync to get a guy not just better and better, you know, ready to help the major league team, but to do it as quickly as they did. Again, you know, Gavin Lux is 21 years old. He's two years removed from being labeled a future utility man at best. This wasn't, you know, Max Muncy was got up to the majors with another team, had to come back, figured a bunch of stuff out later in life. Kyle Garlick is 26, 27. Matt Beatty who had four years in college. He was a senior sign. Tony Gonslin, a senior sign. A lot of these guys were older. They'd had more experience. They, you know, had in some ways a lesser way to go just because the jump from college to pro ball or in some cases – other areas of pro ball to the majors, it's a lot lesser than high school to pro ball. Um, in some ways, Gavin, and they, and they all made sure to credit and say, you know, Gavin did this. Um, it's kind of the story of, of him. I talked to his uncle, Augie Schmidt, who was the Golden Spikes Award winner in 1982, the second overall pick. And uh, Gavin kind of trained with Augie since he was six years old. And Augie said, you know, when he was a teenager, I was like, man, you know, he might come play for me one day. And D3, he's the head coach at Carthage College. And then he uh, said Gavin became a high school freshman. Augie's working with him. He's like, you know, I think he's better than D3. I I don't think I'm going to get him. But all the way through up until the winter of Gavin's senior year, the thought was he's going to go. He had to commit to Arizona State. Um, That was the thought of where he was going to end up. Trey Magnuson, the Dodgers area scout for the Upper Midwest, had first seen Gavin uh, that summer at the uh, Midwest Scouts Association workout in Kansas City and liked him. But it wasn't like a, ooh, I have to have this guy right now. It was it was a progression. It really wasn't until winter or spring where it was like okay maybe this is going to happen, um, and then Gavin just continued to make these kind of jumps. You know he went from maybe he'll play D three to ooh he'll be a good D one college player to ooh he's a first round pick in the span of you know two three years. And again the major leagues he's gone from maybe utility guy to ooh this guy's better than that to so this guy might be a future star in two or three years. Um, so he's had good coaching all along the way. He's put in the work, his work ethic, uh, in part because it was imparted to him by his uncle. He knows what to do and what it takes to be successful in pro baseball. And then the Dodgers, you know, was Sean Larkin, uh, Robert Van Skoyak, who's now their hitting coach, but back then was more of an independent consultant. He went and helped Gavin out. Uh, it really was kind of a – and it, it takes a village to raise a prospect kind of way. So I think the combination of, of the kids' talent, makeup, and maturity, which was identified by the amateur staff, Combined with the player development staff, doing all the right things with him, helping him be in a good position to put in the work he needed to do. In some ways, again, I just go back to Billy Gasparino, who's been there for a while now, saying, you know, he views the Gavin Lux development as example number one of what they want to be as an organization.
0: You know, again, it is, it's it's very impressive. You you also noted as as they said, everyone rightfully is giving credit, you know, and the, the ultimate credit here does lie with Gavin Lux. One of the things that I've also uh, been interested with this is, is that we are absolutely, positively, without a doubt, in the time of, this is the pinnacle of Wisconsin baseball, uh, probably ever, you know, at least in the uh, draft era, we know that, but I'll say ever, You know, we have Gavin Lux, minor league player of the year. We have Jared Kelenic, top 10 pick, who is now the number one prospect for the Mariners. We had a story, you know, that Carlos Colazzo did uh, recently. It's up at BaseballAmerica.com about the summer showcase season. And one of the things, and again, I'm I'm not saying that the showcase uh, circuit is, you know, is perfect in every way or anything like that. But for all of the concerns about summer showcases for high school players and all that, I do think I want to get your thoughts on it. I do think that it really does help players like Gavin Lux, like Jared Kalanick, like Ben Rort, but we can keep going, you know, they did not arrive in pro ball having never faced top competition, which, if they were limited to facing who around them, you know, again, and I don't want to knock it because they all—they both played on, a, on a, basically a showcase level team during the high school season that plays some of the best competition around. But if you, if this was 1980 and Gavin Lux was limited to playing who he could play around his area, it would not have been the same as it was that Gavin Lux and Jared Kelnick and all these guys are facing top-quality pitching many times before they ever hit pro ball.
1: And that was something I actually asked Billy directly about because Gavin was the first of these guys. Uh, ben Rortvitt was part of that class as well, but Kellenick hadn't been drafted yet. And I said, you know, give him a history of Wisconsin baseball, particularly high school position players, you know, was there any concern? And the biggest thing he said was, they felt comfortable with what they'd seen from him in terms of facing velocity, just comfort with the level of the game he was playing. And it was in part because he'd had all these opportunities. Uh, I mentioned Trey Magnuson, the Dodgers area scout for the upper Midwest, saw him at the showcase workout in Kansas city at Kauffman stadium, facing some of the other best players from the Midwest. And, you know, Luxed enough to stand out uh, Gasparino and a lot of the other Dodgers head uh, front office types saw him play at the area code games that fall. and He stood out to them there. They then went and saw him in Jupiter at the, uh, at the, at the annual uh, showcase tournament there and he performed well there. So you have all these showcases as well as the fact, you know, Gavin was turning double taking infield with a college program at nine years old, turning double plays, um, you know, working with his uncle, you know, playing around with those guys, playing older competition. You know, he was one of the few guys I talk about, he was comfortable facing 90 miles an hour as as a Wisconsin high schooler, which there hadn't been that many guys before who were. And even though that first year in the Midwest League, and this was something when when I did talk to the Dodgers, one thing they were positive about from Gavin's uh, season there in the Midwest League was they felt he was comfortable and on time against velocity. The bat just wasn't where it needed to be to connect with it. But that was something they felt could grow. And a lot of that did come from having that, you know, exposure to kids from all over the country, having that exposure to, you know, that college, those college-age players from the time he was, you know, still uh, yet even to be 10 years old. I mean, all those things kind of stacked up on one another and helped make Gavin Lux, you know, A, in position in the first place to be drafted in the first round. B, you know, he's a cold-weather kid who's in the majors in three years. That was... I mean, that never used to happen.
0: No, I I do think also one of the things that also it helps is that we just mentioned it, the comfort level to draft a guy like Gavin Lux in the first round. I'm not saying it was an impossible uh, 20 years ago. I am saying you would have probably had to be either the best scout in the world or the craziest because I'll give another example. You know, I remember when Byron Buxton was our minor league player of the year asking twins officials. And I said, what was the best pitcher you saw that you saw Byron Buxton face during his senior year of high school? And the answer was, I saw one guy and they'd seen every game he played that year. And they said, I saw one guy who could have pitched maybe for a Juco. Now, why would they back, become was lower division in...
1: Georgia high school baseball, right? It was like the lowest yes. division of the low
0: class double A, yeah, double A, but also in double A, it kind of depends on where you're from. Like double A out in rural Georgia, and I, I say this as someone from more of rural Georgia, is a different level than like playing double A or especially you know, a ball private school league in Atlanta is a different story than. Basically, public level double A in, uh, you know, on the on more of the South or West or East Georgia. But the same thing, if we're talking about the guys from Wisconsin, during the high school season, it is often hard to see these guys face top level competition. But as a scout, you also have gotten the chance to see them face velocity. Face guys who can spin a breaking ball, face all those things because of the showcase circuit. And it also means for the Gavin Luxes of the world, when you step in in the Midwest League, because the thing about it is, is now again, it's never a perfect analogy because you are facing guys who you've never faced before. But one of the things that stands out is is that baseball really is at its core not that big. When you get to the top level, when you when we have the prospect pad every year at the Futures game, many of these players have crossed paths, you know, multiple times in the past. So what I'm saying, though, is, is that when you're a Gavin Lux, when you're whoever you are, you go to the Midwest League in your first full pro season. And one of the things that is a little disarming that makes you feel a little better about it is you... Go out there, and a lot of times you're going to end up facing guys you've faced before. And it's way less intimidating when you go, oh, yeah, I remember this guy. I faced this guy five times my, the summer before my senior year or wherever it was. That guy doesn't seem like he's 10 feet tall, and he's a pro baseball player, and you're this guy just getting established in pro ball. That guy is a contemporary of yours. And again, it's a minor thing, but it does make a difference when you say that compared to all you're doing is facing guys you never faced before. It's like, whoa, these guys are a lot better than I've ever seen.
1: And again, uh, Lux had, had consistently shown he could handle you know, the upper level guys in the showcase circuit. Again, uh, Billy Gasparino made the point that he did go up to see Gavin for a second time. Uh, during, I believe, the Wisconsin State playoffs. And Lux did face a Wisconsin high scorer throwing 90, and he knew what he was doing up there. So, again, all those things just added into the comfort. Uh, They made the selection. uh, Again, talking to Billy, apparently the White Sox were in on him. They thought there was a chance that uh, the White Sox had – they had the uh, top 10 pick and a a pick in the 20s that year. They used it on Zach Collins and uh, Zach Birdie, I believe. But there was concern that they might take Lux. Uh, Lux apparently had a workout down with the Rays. And he was in play for them. Apparently, it came down to Lux and and Josh Lowe. They ultimately selected Josh Lowe. So the Dodgers weren't the only ones on him. There was an industry-wide, I shouldn't say industry-wide. There were a couple of teams who had gotten comfortable, who felt like he would be up to the task. And um, again, it took a little while. Not everything clicks right away. That first year in the Midwest League did not go the way he wanted. But again, it goes back to he had this comfort already. Combined the work ethic, the makeup, a great player development apparatus around him. And it led to a huge explosion the next year and another leap the year after. And now he's in the majors at 21. And it's an incredible accomplishment on his part. And uh, again, a feather in the cap for the Dodgers organization as a whole.
0: Okay, so I will put you on the spot to kind of as we, you know, on Gavin Lux. Describe what you expect. You know, again, we're, we're talking about probabilities, not certainties, obviously. But what do you expect when we're talking about Gavin Lux five years from now? What kind of player do you see him as a big leaguer?
1: The expectation is it's still going to be hit over power. Um, I think if you wanted to play the, I I say conservative in quotes, because this would be very good production, you know, 280, 18 to 22 homers, um, you know, 10 to 15 stolen bases, and a lot of doubles, you know, we're talking 30, 35, 40. I think is is an expectation that a lot of people have, and, and that's an all-star caliber second baseman. Oh, wow, by the way, playing really good defense. Um, but there are people who have said, you know, this kid keeps making jumps again and again and again and again. He's still 21. This isn't the best Gavin Lux we're ever going to see. I mean, his track record is a guy who takes big leaps. And to that point, there are people out there who say, I think this kid can hit 300, 310, maybe even more the major league ball and just the Dodgers ability to kind of, you know, make the most swing adjustments, maybe that 18 to 22 home runs becomes 25, 26, 30.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, right now, I hate to say it, but expecting anyone to go from 15 to 30 doesn't seem all that crazy. So
1: again, I, I think if we're being, again, I, I say reasonable in quotes because you're still describing a really, really good player. Um Again, 280 ish you know, 18 to 22 bombs, 30 to 40 doubles, really good second base defense hits number two in your lineup. Yeah. I mean, that's, that I think is the, you know, the general expectation of what he can be. Um, but again, just given his track record, given the Dodgers and everything that they have going for them, uh, given the fact he doesn't have to be the guy right away, he's surrounded by a star studded lineup. He can just go in, be himself, and there's not a lot of pressure on him. Um If that that becomes 300 with 28 home runs and, you know, maybe, again, 20 stolen bases, it's not out of the realm of possibility. This is a really, really talented player. He's a good athlete with great baseball instincts, as we've talked about, playing, you know, really courtesy of his uncle since he was six years old. Um, You don't want to put a cap on a guy like this, given the combination of skills and makeup, because he'll blow by it and make you look bad. Even the Dodgers acknowledge this is a great scouting group. Uh, again, Billy mentioned, you know, they had a lot of fives and 55s on him, and, and that's what they thought they would draft him in the first round as. Now he's got a bunch of sixes on the scouting card. Even they didn't see that coming. So it would not be out of character at all for Gavin Lux to exceed expectations.
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely – As again, we also talk about his youth. The reality of it is, is that why do we get all excited about young players in the big leagues, young players at their level, all that? It's because those are the players who have the chance for the biggest growth because no one is fully formed. You know, in baseball terms, we see exceptions to this. But when you're talking about a 25-year-old prospect, he's pretty close to fully formed. You know, it's the reality of it is, is that the clock is already – sad to say in 2019, the clock is kind of already ticking. I mean, where if you talk about a guy – Look at the Ronald Acuna's, the Juan Soto's of the world. You know, we've seen it in recent years. If you hit the big leagues at 21, 2021, if you can, again, and we can't say with Gavin Lux yet, we're, we're waiting to see with Gavin Lux, whether he's big league ready. You know, he hasn't done that yet, but he has shown the indications he will be. But if you can do that at 21 and you just get a little bit better, at 22, at 23, at 24, at 25. And again, also, I don't want to make it sound like that improvement is absolutely positively linear. But if you do, that is going to make you into a great player. Whereas the player who arrives at 25, let's say, and then gets a little better as a 26-year-old and a little better as 27, well, by 28, now your skills are having to make up for diminished, you know, your, your physical tools are already diminishing sad to say in many cases and by the time you're 31 32 you're often trying to hang on and so again you know it just gives you a much bigger runway uh much more potential if you make it at that age and that's what gavin lux is about
1: absolutely uh, again uh you give a lot of credit to him you give a lot of credit to the dodgers uh, as an organization and um you know, we've talked about the Dodgers, how they've been able to sustain this run. Uh, they're on their way to their seventh straight division title. Go back and look at that 2013 Dodgers team that started this, that 2014 Dodgers team. There's almost no one left. You've, yeah, Clayton Kershaw, of course, is still there. Kenley Jansen, of course, is still there. But the position player group, it's Adrian Gonzalez, it's Hanley Ramirez. I mean, the Dodgers have been able to, you know, backfill for years now, whatever talent they lose, that goes back to Ned Coletti uh, and his administration. They drafted Seeger and Bellinger. That's continued into Andrew Friedman and his group. You know, they're the ones who drafted, you know, this, this most recent guys, uh, Walker Buehler, Will Smith, all them. So um, again, this has been an incredible run by the Dodgers. And Gavin Lux is just the next man up in this run. And, um, you know, obviously he's got – Pretty big shoes. You know, you don't want to say, oh, he's the next Seager. Oh, he's the next Bellinger. Uh, I don't think that's fair to put on the kid. And in all honesty, he's, in my discussions with evaluators, not seen as quite the same level of those guys. Um, but very few young players in baseball are. And even, I,
0: I have gotten a scout who saw him and Seager know, at the same age yeah, who thinks one. he's better than Seager. I will say that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there, you will find people out there. Um, again, either way, whether he's a, a tick below them or he is able to exceed something like either way, that's an incredible baseball player that all 30 teams would, would kill to have. And the Dodgers would be fortunate to have are fortunate to
0: have. I, I, yeah. What the Dodgers have done right now, this is, it, it is kind of almost, I guess the example of what happens when a team with a massive amount of resources has some of the best uh, scouting and player development in baseball. Also, um, what what happens is is, I mean, they're right now, they are going to win the West. That is going to be their seventh straight division title, which we're not in we're we're, I guess, depending on what you think about the nineteen ninety-four strike, we're not in Atlanta Braves, you know, nineteen nineties territory yet. But we're moving towards that direction. And as you noted, I mean, the thing that just stands out to me is is, yeah. There are players who are getting older. They are having to, you know, develop new guys to kind of step in. But they've done that. They've <laughs> – this is a team that if you look at it, it's not just looking like they're in really great shape for the 2019 playoffs. But you look at this team for 2020, for 2021, for 2022, as far as the foreseeable future can go, I think you have to say this team is in as good a shape as about anybody. Cody Bellinger has established himself now as a star. And he's not going anywhere for a very long time. Corey Seager, you know, is a very good productive player. Yes, as the Justin Turner's age, they kind of found Max Muncie out of the middle of nowhere. You know, Will Smith, they've got, actually, they've got a bazillion catchers. They've added Walker Bueller to give them a potential ace to eventually step into, you know, as Clayton Kershaw gets older, this is just, I mean, this is a juggernaut. And I mean, Kyle to you, like, you know, you see them more than I do obviously, and you follow them closer because you know, you're, you're out there, but. I feel like, I mean, I just look at this right now and obviously San Diego is going to make it interesting in the West coming forward. Cause they've got a very young team that should get better and better. Um, but I kind of, I mean, I still think the Dodgers, like when I look at the next three years, I feel like they're in as good a shape as about anybody.
1: They are. Uh, and that's, you know, we've seen the diamondbacks uh, have reloaded nicely. They're a competitive team. They've got some good young talent. Um, you know, the Giants are building a nice farm system. You know, the Rockies took a step back this year, but they have a great homegrown core in the majors after back-to-back postseasons. And, you know, the Padres were our number one farm system coming into the year. And all these teams have something going for them. But um, I think it's reasonable to say, I don't know if whatever they have going for them is enough to see them jumping the Dodgers when you consider the player development apparatus they have. You know, the Dodgers have a head start on what all these t- teams are trying to do, develop an impact stud year after year after year. The Dodgers have a four- or five-year head start on all these guys. On top of that, they have more financial resources than any other team in the West. And oh, by the way, on top of that, they have more payroll flexibility than just to, you know, draw a direct comparison, than the Padres, who have a lot of money tied up in Eric Hosmer, Will Myers, and Manny Machado uh, moving forward. The Dodgers have very, very few long-term payroll commitments. I mean, they're going to have more financial resources, more payroll flexibility, a head start on developing young, you know, stars coming up to the majors. Um, You know, never say never, strange things can happen. I wrote about this a little while ago. I think that if the Dodgers did take a step back, the way it would happen would be the young pitching that has come up is unable to supplement, you know, Kershaw's in his 30s, Ryu and Hill are, you know, nearing the end of their contracts. Um, You know, outside of Bueller, you know, most of their established starters are all older. I think if Dustin May and Tony Gonsolin and Josiah Gray, if, if they falter and, you know, that would be how the Dodgers take a step back is if the young pitchers aren't able to step into place. But I feel like even if they do that, they have all the money in the world to throw at whatever stud free agent pitchers are out there. So.
0: Right. They'll, yeah. I mean, and this is something that we've seen them do. They don't go into the season saying, okay, here are our five starters. They go into the season saying here are our 10 options for the starting rotation and we will mix and match those players to get us to where we need to be. I mean, they're, they're quite happy to basically pay Rich Hill. I don't think they've had an expectation for 150 innings for Mitch Hill at any point in his Dodgers career, but they're like, no, just be really good when you do pitch. And, you know, yeah, I, I, I absolutely. They're not going to count just on, okay, if, if Dustin May doesn't turn out to be who we hope he's going to be, we're going to be in trouble. They're going to make sure they have option B and C to go with him.
1: And then they have the depth of the farm system to do it. They have, you know, all the financial resources at their disposal. So again, you are correct that the Dodgers, with the amount of talent they have developed in this, these, this five year window, this three, four, five year window, um, it's going to be tough for all these other teams, whatever they have going for them as well, to jump that. So I I think if you were to say, I expect the Dodgers to make this a 10-year division title run, I think that's a fair fair statement. Um, Again, you never know. Stranger things have happened. But there is not an obvious path for another team in the West to supplant the Dodgers Anytime in the next three, four, five years, even with whatever talent bases they might have, just because of all these structural advantages the Dodgers have,
0: it's it's going to be interesting to watch. You know, obviously the key thing for them is is that they have come very close. So far, they have not uh, during this run gotten the uh, the ring that they uh, the ring they really want, which is the uh, the trophy they really want, which is World Series chance. But they have been oh oh so close last couple of times and now you have to say as we head into you know the the final month as not you head into as we are in the final month of the 2019 regular season they are one of the favorites again to uh to do it this year so we will see how that shakes out but the real news today that we did want to talk about Gavin Lux 2019 Baseball America Minor League Player of the Year congratulations to Gavin congratulations to the Dodgers if you want to read more about it, go to BaseballAmerica.com, and you can check out Kyle's story, Kyle's Q&A with uh, Billy Gasparino talking about the development of Gavin Lux. There's a lot there to enjoy. We also will be rolling out. Uh, we're talking, this is Monday afternoon, but by Tuesday we plan to roll out our our uh, always-anticipated minor league all-star teams because we are trying to honor the best players in the minors at all levels in 2019. Kyle's actually been doing a lot of work on that, which I know – is both uh, fun and a labor of love uh kyle but for kyle glazer i'm jj cooper so long everybody